take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 34. The theme for the last couple of weeks is, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And last week's text was Psalm 103, where it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. And we sang that song, You're worthy of it all. And then we quoted You may not have realized it, but we were quoting from the book of Romans, chapter number 11, somewhere around between verses 32 and 35. You'd have to double check, but that's where it says, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. So when we sing a song like that and we repeat it, we are living out the verses that we're studying right now. Bless the Lord. O my soul and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Today's text is, as I mentioned, Psalm 34. And this is another place where you see this statement, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, though, there's a different emphasis today. If you remember last week what it says when we said, bless the Lord, O my soul and all that is within me. We spoke about genuine worship that comes from every part of our being inside and out. And if you missed it, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that, uh, the media from that message. But today, Psalm 34 is a little bit different. Instead of focusing on how, that would be last week, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. That's how we bless the Lord, how we worship God. But if, if last week we are focused on the how... This week, this week we're going to focus on the when. Last week, now I'll just make sure that you're tracking with me, as they say. In Psalm 103, last week we looked at the what? We looked at the how. And today, we're going to look at the when of worshiping God. We saw the how, and now we're going to look at the when. And you're going to see it right from the beginning. Look at verses number 1. But we'll just begin with verse number one. In, uh, in Psalm 34, Dad, if you could help with some of the handouts here for the, the, the bulletins and the sermon notes today. Thank you. Psalm 34, verse number one, I will bless the Lord when? You got to help me out a little more today. Ready? Bless the Lord when? At all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So if last week was the how, this week is the when, and according to our text here, the when is when. It's always. It's at all times. And so that's the theme today. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Verse number two, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Verse number three, this is what we sang just a few minutes ago. Read it out loud together with me. Verse number three, begin. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Now, I want you to see, I put this, I, I laid this out kind of uniquely on your handout this morning. So I want you to look at the some of you don't use the handout, and that's totally fine. Others, you do. But if you would just look at it for just a minute this morning, and you'll see on the very front, the way we broke down the psalm, you see those unfamiliar bolded symbols and words that were there. Does anybody, this is the trivia bonus questions of the day, does anybody have any idea what those little bold sections in there are? You could maybe take a guess. They're not numbers, so that's a good, that's a pretty good guess, actually. Mrs. Thompson, they are letters of the alphabet, well, not my alphabet. Yeah, there you go, okay, now we're putting it together. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They're letters of the Hebrew alphabet. This psalm, Psalm 34, is like several others that, that is structured in an acrostic format. Now, why do we often structure things acrostically? For ease of what? Memory and retention, so that we remember them. So, uh, with just the exception of one verse, what happens is this 
this psalm, every single one of the original Hebrew sentences begins with a sequential letter of the alphabet. So letter, their, their Aleph is their first, and that begins with, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continue to be in my mouth. And you see as follows. And so there's a structure to this, and this is going to be significant at the end, because at the very end, I'm going to show you a spot where the structure of the psalm breaks. Now, all of this we don't see in our English translation. It's more difficult, but we know that the psalm was originally given to us in Hebrew. And so this is interesting. Um, a little bit of background study helps us see what is being emphasized in the psalm. But as we begin with just the first part, these first three verses, let's remind ourselves, what does it mean to bless the Lord? When we say, bless the Lord, in verse number one, I will bless the Lord at all times. What does it mean to bless the Lord? Well, to bless means to speak of the goodness of God. We understand what it means to receive a blessing, right? We get that. When we receive a blessing, we are experiencing the goodness of God. But when we give God a blessing, do we have any goodness we can bestow upon Him? Do we have anything we can offer God that would make Him any better or any more blessed? Well, no. So as we understand, when we bless the Lord, and when the Psalms call us to bless the Lord, it's instructing us to speak back to Him about His goodness. And can I tell you something about speaking? Speaking is always heard. That's pretty profound, right? Like deep, you know? Speaking is always heard. And one thing you will find in the Bible is that we, as human beings, are called to use the bodies that we're given, and we are called to physically praise and bless the Lord. It's, it's not just that we feel the goodness of God, but we are called to physically express his goodness and his greatness. We call it different things. Here it's called blessing the Lord. We also call it praising God. We also consider it part of our worship of God, where we express to him how great he is. And can I encourage you to think something, to think about something this morning? Maybe you're here and you're saying, well, like, how in the world is worshiping God going to help me in my life with my difficulties? Well, that's exactly what we're going to see this morning. There's something, it can't be explained in steps, but there is something supernatural. When you and I enter into a place of worship, when you and I enter into a place of praise, thanksgiving, and blessing of God, it will affect us in our real everyday lives. We are created as worshipful people. You say, well, what do you mean? Everywhere you look, people are worshiping something. Everywhere you look, and they're expressing that worship. Some of you may have been following the NBA finals, and uh, the, the local team did done pretty well. Is it even over yet? Is it, are we still in this whole thing? It goes on for like forever, right? I'm not an NBA guy. So you can ask me about baseball, the NFL, but NBA, I don't, I don't really know. Ken, you're, you're a Celtics fan. Is it, is it over? Tell us, we don't talk about it anymore. Okay. It's always over. Is that what you said? Brutal, brutal. It's, well, he said always, I think. So. But it's close. But you go to that, if you go to, uh, where is it? TD, um, is that where they play? TD Garden? Oh, TD Garden. Oh, okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. If you go to, how they say it in the other part of the state, if you go to TD Garden, and you are going to find worship taking place. You are going to find blessing taking place. Because... Uh, you're also going to find the opposite of worship taking place. But you are going to find blessing taking place. Because when an, when an NBA all-star, I'm really stepping out on a limb, like Jason Tatum, am I doing okay? All right, I'm doing okay so far. When he gets the ball and he makes an impressive play, everybody in that crowd that's, that's a hometown crowd is going to bless his name at that moment in time. 
Now, what is Jason Tatum doing for any of us in that moment? Nothing, really. Maybe you could say he's entertaining, he's doing that. Yeah, but we know when we experience someone else's greatness, we feel as if we are partakers in their greatness, don't we? You cheer, and some of you are way too spiritual for this sports analogy. You're just like, come on, you know. But you know what I'm saying? When you, whatever it is, if it's a, if it's a you, you can see the, the, the famous actors and people will just, or singers. I understand that there's something happening with Taylor Swift in the state this weekend, and somebody paid $21,000. Did you see that? Somebody spent $21,000 to get their family to see Taylor Swift this weekend. Wow! I would love to have $21,000 to spend that way, all right? But anyway, why? Now, I am not here to, like, dump cold water and, and, and be like, you sports and music worshipers. Well, that's not my point. My point is it's a simple illustration that we can understand. When we see a performer or someone we admire or when we see an athlete, we physically, with our mouths and with our hands, what do we do? We cheer on and we bless the greatness that we are witnessing. Because as human beings, we understand that we have limitations, don't we? We have limitations. And when we see someone exceed what we perceive to be our limitations, it blows our mind on what is possible, and we want to join into that experience. Be it sports, art, music, theater, etc. Architecture, just, just whatever your thing is, you know how you love to praise greatness. But sometimes what happens is we take these things that, yes, we can enjoy, but they become our idols, do they not? This becomes what is our greatest sense of joy. This becomes what we, get a, what we look forward to the most. The psalmist reminds us that we are called to give physical witness and expression to the ultimate greatness, and that is the greatness and the glory of an, of an incomparable, magnificent God who exceeds all of our wildest expectations of humanity. He is the ultimate in greatness and glory. And we are called with our very lives, with everything that we have, to give him worship. Now, why did I say all that? Well, the point was, if you remember where we started, worship is not only for the glory of God, though that is the supreme point, but worship is also for the benefit of the worshiper. It is good for your soul to worship God. So, it took a little too long on that, so I'm going to have to hurry through the rest of this. Notice again, I'm still on the front page. Bless the Lord. We speak out the goodness of God. Do you see in these first, go ahead, Gideon, put verse number one back up so everybody's referencing it with me. I will. Do you see there's a conscious choice that's being made there? Remember, putting it all together now, we're talking about the when should we worship God? When should we bless God? We have to make a decision. You and I have to make a conscious decision. I will bless the Lord. It's personal. No one else is responsible. You and I have to decide, will we be people who worship God? And then he says in, the, in verse number one, I will bless the Lord when at all times his praise shall continually in whatever circumstances I find myself. No matter what place I am, no matter where I am, whenever it is, in whatever circumstances I must worship God, I must bless the Lord, I will and then what happens when we anchor that deep in our soul, when we make a decision that our lives will be lives of worship, then we are called, look at verse number two, it's settled inside David's heart. He says in verse number two, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Notice what's happening now. Other people are entering into this praise with us. Other people are entering into it with us. Verse number three. Oh, magnify the Lord. Next two words. With me. With me. Magnify the Lord 
with me. And let to us exalt His name how? Together. There is personal worship, which then is supposed to spill out into corporate worship. This, you, try this just in your life. If you have spent, i, I tell you this, if a whole church has spent Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. If the whole church all week long says, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Do you know what's going to happen when we come to worship together on Sunday morning? Something powerful is going to happen. People around you will be primed up and ready to go. And I want to encourage you, as you, come to, as you come to the public worship gatherings of our church, come prepared. You see, it is not the, the, the music team or Pastor Aaron's job to be like, okay, guys, you know, sing out now, worship God now. It's not, and, and I'm not saying that, that that's what has to happen. I'm just reminding us that's not what it is. We each make a decision. I have come to worship God because that's what I've been doing all week long. Now let's do it together. Let's do it together. The Bible says that the Lord inhabits the praise of his people. But what I want to focus on for the rest of the time is this. In, and this is the statement on the bottom of the front page of your notes today. In whatever times we face, we are going to have to learn. If we, in good times and bad times, we're going to have to learn to replace what we feel about ourselves with what we know about God. Did you catch that? So, so help me out here. I'm going to ask you to read the underlying statements. Whatever times we face, we have to learn to replace what we feel about who? So what does that mean? Do you always feel like worshiping and praising God? No. No. In fact, sometimes, whether it's at your home or whether it's at church, you might come in and just be like, oh, I just am not, I'm not feeling it today. Well, worship is not based on what we feel. Our worship of God is based on what we know about Him. What we know about Him. If you knew the background to Psalm 34, the circumstances under which David wrote this David just came through one of the most difficult experiences he had ever had in his life. He was afraid. He came close to a, a brutal death. His life was in danger. This is a low point in his life. And he gives us these words, Bless the Lord when? At all times. In whatever times. I'm going to show you quickly. There are four times that I see in this psalm. There are four times, you see this on your inside page, four times. We need to bless the Lord in our times of terror. We need to bless the Lord in our times of trusting. There's times of teaching, and there are times of trouble. In times of terror, in times of trusting, in times of teaching, in times of trouble. Let's see how this breaks down. In verses 4 through 7, follow along in the scriptures with me. And what I want to do in each of these is I want us to think about how the psalmist feels and then focus on what he knows. We're going to look at how he feels and then see what he knows. Why? Because you and I feel the same things. We go through the same times in our lives. It says here in verse number 4, David describes this time of terror and difficulty that he's in. He says this, I sought the Lord. And he heard me and delivered me from all my, keyword what? Fears. He delivered me from all my fears. There's another psalm that says this, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. That's a verse I would give, uh, Deborah and I would give our children when they have their, uh, it, when they were, mostly when they were younger, but when they would have terrors in the night when they'd have fears in the night. How many of you had those, that was in your childhood, you were like that. Nighttime, you had those fears and those worries 
and those anxieties that would come in. And it always happened when the sun went down and your parents said goodnight and they left, you're afraid. And we would teach our children that verse, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Because we all know there are, there are all kinds of things to be fearful about in this world, are there not? All kinds of things. There's tragedies, there's sicknesses, there's difficulties, there's death. And, and do we have any control over these things coming into our lives? We have none. We have no control. It's actually a wonder that people aren't terrified every moment of the day when you think about it. Right? In the world in which we live, it's a wonder, it's a wonder that, people, that, that people aren't more afraid. But it's not just little children. What happens is our fears graduate. They get bigger. And they get heavier. And now we don't just have fears for ourselves and our relationships. But we have fears for our children and our grandchildren and our family and our friends. And if we're not careful, our minds can become terrified with the fears that we face. That was a moment that David was in. And can I tell you this? When you are afraid, you don't feel like praising God. You just don't. You don't feel like it. And if you are trusting your feelings to guide your life and to calm your heart, then you are setting yourself up for serious, serious discouragement. There's a popular saying, just trust your what? So most of you said it. Let's try it again. Just trust your your gut, or trust your heart, follow your heart. That is some of the worst advice anybody could be given. Because our hearts are fearful, and they're cyclical, and they go in all kinds of different directions. That's why we have psalms like this, because we can identify with David's the condition of his heart. He's afraid. How many of you know you don't make good choices when you're afraid? You don't make good, fear-based decisions are very dangerous in your life. Never, um, never make a decision based on fear. Let me get a little bit back on track here. So what is he feeling? You're going to see he's feeling alone. He's feeling overwhelmed. He's feeling inadequate. Look at this. It says, I sought the Lord and he heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. They that looked unto him and were, they looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not what? ashamed. He's got fear. He's got inadequacy. He's overwhelmed. This idea of being ashamed is that, that I'm going to be, my life is over. It's over for me. I could never show my face in public again. My reputation will be destroyed. My name will be put out. And in the ancient Hebrew culture, that was an even bigger deal than it is today. Your name and your reputation, that was everything. You couldn't just go and reinvent yourself. Didn't, it wasn't a thing. And so David is just afraid, external fears, internal fears. They've gripped his heart. But now you see you, what we also read in here is that he anchors his hope in what he knows. And what he knows. It says in verse number six, this poor man cried. And I would encourage you, if you are going through a time of fear, just put yourself in there. Just say, this poor man, this poor woman, this poor guy, this poor girl, I cried. I cried. And the Lord, what? Heard him. God never promised that we would not go through difficulties, but he did promise that if we would cry out, he would what? He would hear. Call unto me, and I will answer. Call unto me and I will answer. For each of us, in whatever stage of life we're in, what we know in a time of terror over, needs to overcome what we feel. We feel alone, overwhelmed, inadequate. But we know God hears us. Young people, teenagers that are in the room, listen, you go to... Studies show that teenagers today are facing an all-time high of depression and anxiety and worry. And you might say, I just don't see how this church stuff or how this Bible stuff is relevant. Just trust me for a minute. Look at the Bible. Give it a try. Just test. put God to the test. And in your time of despair, in your time of depression, in your time of anxiety, call out to God. Call out to Him. Put Him to the test. David thought there was no way out of his situation, but he said, this poor man cried, and the Lord 
heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Verse number 7, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. There's times of terror, but then there's good times. And these are the times of trusting. Look at verses 8 through 10. Verses 8 through 10 are much more upbeat and positive. And aren't you thankful that uh, despite all the things to be fearful of, there are also good times that we enjoy in this life? And that God has given us times of, and seasons of blessing and happiness. And, and hopefully you're experiencing something like that now, but perhaps or perhaps not. Either way, look at these times of trusting. What do we feel? Look at verse 8. Verse number 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? He's good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that what? Key word. Trust in him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I love that he uses the word taste because I'm a bit of a foodie. I enjoy, I enjoy the sense of taste. Can I get a witness out there? Anybody at all is with me. And, and some people go on, like I know these people, I've, I've worked with people, they're like these fitness fanatics. And they count their macros. How many of you know what that is, that that's even a thing? Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, okay, some of you do. And it's like, it, it, like I knew this guy one time, and he's on this, he's on this fitness uh, regimen, and uh, he's like, yep, I eat, I eat broccoli and unseasoned chicken. Like how often? Every day. <laughs> that's just for like a month. That's it. Because, and I'm just like, hey, man. I didn't say this to him, but I wanted to be like, you're missing the point. <laughs> you're missing the whole point of this thing called food. It is, what the psalmist is doing is, and the Holy Spirit is bringing us into a, a moment of physical pleasure that we can all relate to. That first bite, that first sip, where our reaction is, mmm, good, that's good. That is so good. <laughs> what he's saying is, there are moments in life where we are just experiencing the good things that God has for us. It's just good. In those times, though, we need to remember, are we more satisfied? The danger is this. We can be more satisfied with the gift than we are with the giver. He doesn't say, oh, taste and see that the Lord has given us great stuff, does he? He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That God is good. And then that word blessed, it means happy, fulfilled, satisfied. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. What we feel in these moments, we feel full and satisfied. We feel happy and content. But you would think that in those moments, we automatically bless the Lord. You would think that in those moments, we automatically give God worship and praise. But you know what? Sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's in those moments that we are so busy enjoying what we have, we forget to bless the one who gave it to us. So in those moments, bless the Lord. In your times of trusting, you see, what we know, what we feel is full and satisfied. We feel happy. But do we feel grateful or do we feel proud? You see, it's just as much. You can look at your, you can enjoy the blessing of your children. And instead of reflecting that as worship to God, you can feel proud of the kids that you have. Now, I know there's a healthy usage of the word pride, but there's also a very unhealthy pride for your family, as if this is all because of some good thing that you have done. Or you could look at the things that you have, and you could say, boy, I've worked so hard, I've accomplished all of this. You see, that's when we, instead of trusting God as the provider, we are really trusting ourselves as self-reliant. He goes on to talk about this, and he reminds himself to worship the Lord in his time of blessing, in his time of trusting. He says this 
in verse number, verse number 9, O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. There's an interesting study that could be done on the usage of the word fear in this psalm. I don't have time to really draw that out today, but the, word, the idea of fearing the Lord occurs over and over again in this psalm. It's really interesting because it's a psalm where David is just delighting. I mean, you could not look at this psalm and say, you could not come away from this psalm and think anything else than, wow, David just loves the Lord, right? I mean, when you read this, you could not come away with any other conclusion. He, David is just crazy about God. He loves the Lord. But you also find this idea of a blessing to those who fear the Lord. And when you combine a, a love of God with a reverence and an awe of who he is, then what happens is this, and I think this is the biggest point of the fear of God. The f- knowing who God is means that you have no one else to fear. All of your fear is in the same place that all of your love is, in your relationship with God. I will not, if the Lord is on my side, I will not fear what man can do unto me. There is, a, there is a love that is so great that the greatest fear would be to disappoint the one whose love is so great. What we know in th- these moments that he is my delight, he is my fear, he is my provider. And then a reminder that self-reliance will lead you to emptiness. You may be someone who says, wait a minute, I don't need anyone. I take care of myself. I don't accept anyone's charity. Everything I've received in my life, I've worked for, I've earned. How many of you have met people like that or you've been people like that before? Yeah, there's this self-reliance. Well, he reminds us, be careful, because self-reliance leads to emptiness. Verse number 10, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger. This is the point of, this is the description of someone in their prime, in their strength, in all of their self-sufficiency, but he's saying even the young and the strong will be in need. Even the strongest of us are in need. But they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Shall not want any good thing. Now that word want is is the idea of have need of. It's not like, well, I want this, and I want that, and I want some of this, and I, I want some of that. That's not the point. The, the, the point is they won't have any lack. They won't have any need. They're not in a state of want. Why? Because we know that whatever God gives us is his best for us. They that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. These are times of trusting. In verses 11 through 16 He gives us times of teaching. And these are interesting moments in our lives. Look at verse 11. Come, ye, what's the word? Children. Well, I don't know if I really want to be called a child. Do you? He says, come, ye children, hearken unto me, and I will what? Teach you. Interesting moment in our lives. We go through times where we're afraid, times of terror. We go through times where we're just trusting God and we're watching Him meet His needs. But then there's times where we are learning some valuable life lessons. Have you, have you, do you know what I'm talking about? These are times where maybe some mistakes are made. Maybe we need to be sat down a little bit. And he says, listen, come to me, children, and I will teach you. There's times in life where God leads us through circumstances. He leads us through obstacles. And we face situations where we're like, man, I wish I had, I wish I, what lesson do I need to learn from this? What lesson do I need to apply in my life? You know, sometimes the difficulties of life, we go through them because we're human. And all people go through troubles. But how many of you have gone through some times where it was because you needed to learn a lesson? And that's what he's saying all through life. And it's in these times. 
Listen, you might be, be going through something right now and say, man, I just feel like I'm making mistake after mistake after mistake. I don't feel like, I, I don't feel like my decisions are, uh, I don't feel like my decisions are leading me in the right path. You need to come as a child and say, God, teach me. I will learn from you and I will worship you as I learn. Times of teaching. Look at what he says. He says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Verse number 12. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Well, look at verse number 12. What is he basically saying there? He's saying, is there anybody out there that would like to have a, a good long life? Any takers? Anybody? Any volunteers for that assignment to have a good, fulfilling, long life? Anybody at all? All right. Thank you, young man in the back. You are, you are selected. Great. You're like, yes. That's what I would like. Isn't that what all of us are after? He's saying, hey, come as a child and I'll teach you. I'll teach you the true ways of life. I'll tr teach you the true ways to success. Not the ways of the world, but the ways of the word. And it involves things like verse number 13, keeping your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. Verse 14, departing from evil, doing good, seeking peace, pursuing it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. We spoke a few weeks ago in our, or last week actually in our adult Bible class, we spoke a little bit about how God sometimes disciplines his children. He doesn't punish us because Jesus took the punishment for our sins. But sometimes God disciplines us. Why? It's because he's teaching us how to live a fulfilled life. Why do we discipline our children? Why do we teach them, why do we teach them to, to live in a righteous way and not an unrighteous way? Because we want the very best for them. But I would imagine that when your children are being disciplined, in whatever form that discipline takes, they're probably not always in that moment looking back at you and saying, boy, mom, thanks so much for steering me on the right path. Thanks for pointing me in that. As I spend this time in my room, I just want to thank you for pointing me in the right direction in my life. That's not our typical, their typical reaction, is it? But we're not much different as adults. See, as God is teaching us and trying us and disciplining, in us, uh, disciplining us and leading us into his paths, can you bless the Lord in those moments? Can you say, God, thank you for this difficulty. It's teaching me patience. I'm going to bless you. I don't understand it, but for some reason, whatever you're teaching me right now, I believe that it's good. And I'm going to accept it, and I'm going to worship you for it. Can we do that? He's what we know in these times when we feel uncertain, foolish, we feel frustrated. What we know is that God is a patient Father, and we know that His plan for us is good. So we can worship Him even in those times of teaching. Times of terror, times of trusting, times of teaching, and then times of trouble. Look at verse number 17. It's interesting. He begins with troubles and he ends with troubles. And listen, if you have gone through, if you have gone through a fearful time, it's, it's great that we, we go from valley experiences to mountain experiences, but then how many of you know eventually you'll find yourself in a valley again? Don't give up. Don't be someone that says, well, wait a minute. I've been through this before, God. I went through a hard time before. I went through a difficulty before. He will walk th with us through the difficulties again. This is not the time to give up. It's the time to turn our hearts back to worship. Look at what he says. Times of trouble. Verse 17. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth them, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, 
but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. See verse 19 again? This is interesting in verse 19. What's that uncomfortable word that it starts with? Many. And then another uncomfortable word. What? Afflictions. Many are the afflictions of the evildoers. No. What's it say? Of who? The righteous. Remember, the Lord, and, and I have seen, we have experienced Christians really get, young Christians get derailed from their faith because they have this mindset, well, now I've accepted Jesus, so everything in my life is going to get better. The Bible actually never says that your circumstances will improve after receiving Jesus. It says that you will have Someone to walk with you through your afflictions and someone who will ultimately what? Deliver you. Ultimately rescue you. Ultimately save you. But we should expect to go through not some, but many. The writer of the song Amazing Grace, most Americans know Amazing Grace, but there's a verse, through many dangers... Toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Saints of old, Christians of old, understood that they would go through difficult times. But that doesn't, that cannot rob us of our worship of God, of our blessing His holy name, of our giving Him glory and honor that is due Him. You see, it says in verse 20, he keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Just as a side note, that's a prophecy about Jesus on the cross. Verse 21, evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. Now, do you remember at the beginning I showed you all those letters of the alphabet? The last verse that has a letter of the alphabet is verse number 21. And then there is no letter for verse number 22. Verse number 22 stands on its own. Verse 22 stands as a powerful conclusion to the psalm. Because in verse number 22, we are brought to this emphasis, that no matter what times we go through, no matter what difficulties we face, read this first statement with me. Ready? Begin. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. That word desolate means come to utter ruin. How many of you have ever seen a neglected house? You drive by some of the, you drive through some of the hill towns around here. And they've cleaned up a lot of them in the city, actually, over the years. You used to see a lot of it in the city, even. Neglected houses. And you can see there is a difference between a house that is distressed and a house that is desolate. The house that is distressed, what can be done? I just need somebody to love on it a little bit, right? Just need somebody to say, hey... Let's restore you to your former glory. Let's put a little love in you. Let's, let's, but a house that is desolate, what is left for that house? The wrecking ball. The excavator. It's desolate. It's hopeless. Do you know what? Sometimes we as Christians, we can feel a bit distressed. We can feel stressed out, worn out, burnt out, beat down, beat up, whatever you want to say but you will never be out for the count if you are a child of God. Your house will never be desolate. Why? Because of what it says in the beginning of the verse. The Lord has done what for us? He has redeemed us. He has bought us. He has purchased us. We belong to Him. And if you belong to Jesus... If you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, if you are a child of God, he will never allow you to come to ultimate destruction. 
And you might say, but Ethan, I feel pretty close right now. I don't feel like there's a lot of hope. I don't feel like there's a, there's a lot of room for improvement here. I mean, I just, I, I feel like this is it for me. The Bible says none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. If you are a child of God, you cannot get low enough where it is finished for you. Because the Bible says that even if, the, 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 the man Job said this, he says, if I die and worms destroy my body. Gross, huh? Doesn't get much worse than that. He says, if I die and worms destroy my body, he says, I know that still in my flesh I shall see God. Because there is a great day when the redemption is fulfilled. There is a future day coming. And Jesus said in Luke chapter number 21, speaking about difficult times and times of tribulation, he says in Luke 21, 28, the words of Jesus, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look where? Look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. So you might say, Ethan, that sounds good, but how can I know? How can I know that my redemption draws nigh? How can I know that there's an eternal hope for me? Listen, it only comes through a personal relationship with Jesus. I cannot, this church cannot give you the hope that you need. This, th there's no religion in the world that can give you the redemption that you need. Only Jesus can redeem your soul from the grave. He came. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, when He went to that cross, He took your sin. But He also took your shame. He, took, he experienced the lowest of lows. He died on the cross. The death that we deserved the punishment that we deserved. And he was put to shame. He was buried in the grave. But on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. Why? To purchase our redemption. You can't be good enough. You can't be religious enough. You can't try hard enough. You can only say, Jesus, I receive your free gift of redemption. Make me yours. I believe in you. And when that happens, we become not just lifelong, but we become eternal worshipers of God. Where we can say, I will bless the Lord. When? At all times. Despite how I feel, I know that I'm a child of God. So I can worship his holy name. But you can't do that. Unless you know that you know that you know that you belong to Jesus. Has there ever been a time in your life where you have put your faith, not in yourself, not in a church, not in religion, but you've put your faith in Jesus Christ? If you'd say, I don't know, I'm not sure, make that decision right now. As we close this service, Make the decision to trust Christ. We're going to come to a time of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? No one, please, no one moving around. Let's just focus right now on listening to the voice of God in our hearts. If you're here and you'd say, Ethan, I'm not sure that I've ever received Christ as my Savior, but I want to be sure. I want to be sure that I am one of those redeemed, that I am one of those who will be saved. Say, so I want to make sure that this is all you need to do. You say, what do I have to do? Right now in your heart, just tell God. Just pray to him. Say something like this. Say, dear Lord, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I'm lost. But I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead for me. And I believe that you can save me. So I put all of my faith and all of my trust in you and you alone. Jesus, please save me. The Bible says that if you will call on the name of the Lord, if you will ask Jesus to save you, if you will put your faith in him, you will be saved. 
So would you do that? Pray. There's no formula of words. It's simply in, in your heart to believe in your heart that Jesus is the way and to confess with your mouth, yes, I believe he rose from the dead. He is my Lord and Savior. Would you do that this morning? If you're here and you'd say, Pastor Ethan, I did that today. I made sure this morning. With no one looking, would you just slip up your hand and put it down? I won't call out your name. I won't embarrass you. But you say, you know what? God spoke to my heart. And I wasn't sure before, but today I made sure. Just let me pray for you. Would you put your hand up, put it down? Anyone in the room, if you're watching today on the live stream, send us a private message so we can pray for you to grow in your faith. If you'd say, well, I didn't do that today, but I still have questions. I still have questions. Well, you can fill out on the, on the card, on the Connect card. You can fill out, hey, I'd like more information about Christ. Or you can come and speak with me after the service and say, hey, is, do you have anything? And I'll give you some resources, how you can know a little bit more about what it means to be saved, to be one of the redeemed. The rest of this moment is for Christians. We're going to have a quiet time of prayer. Maybe you just need to say, I haven't been feeling like a worshiper but now I know that God deserves my worship. And in this moment, reset your heart. As Deborah softly plays on the piano, we'll have a time of prayer. And just reset your heart, refocus it, and say, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. Let's have a time of prayer. Spirit. And in truth, God, that you would challenge us to be worshipers, not just on Sunday, but in our daily lives. We pray that if someone here doesn't know you as their Savior, today would be the day that they would put their faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you in our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.